Welcome into TYT's The Conversation. I am your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today we are joined by two individuals who are exceptional. And they happen to be building a better tomorrow for us all by way of Represent Collaborative. That's a storytelling collaborative focus that really is centralized on racial and social justice issues. I wanna welcome in Aaron Fair, the co-founder of Represent Collaborative and Dr. Akila Kade, Chief Creative Officer. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, all right. So, you know, there are a lot of online blogs and storytellers out there, but what makes Represent Collaborative unique, Erin? Um, so, we were, were truly a collaborative. I've worked in media for about 20 years, um, and over the summer, you know, really, in addition to kind of looking at all facets of um, American society really was looking at media and how kind of white supremacy and racism was kind of built into that as well. And so when I was laid off from my job, I, you know, sort of saw all these beautiful stories in the press um, that were happening in the month of June, um, kind of celebrating activism and uh, black voices. And I just knew because I'd sat in all those meetings that in about 30 days, they were going to start saying, okay, that's done, let's move on, let's see see where else we can go. Um, and I also realized that I kind of had this network that wanted to help and contribute beyond you know, protesting and donating and that we could potentially continue to tell these stories in a really kind of high quality way that could get you know, picked up. We've, we've worked with all these publications, so we kind of knew the secret codes to get these stories into the paper and getting them staying there. So um, I just put out a call and we have about 200 volunteer reporters, photographers, writers, creative directors from, you know, the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, New York Times, Washington Post, and we produce stories um, collaboratively. So we completely get rid of that power structure where, you know, you can't see your stories, you can't see your images, you can't read your quotes. You know, once you've told us, then we're telling your story. And, you know, as a white creator myself, I realize that that there's that's no way to tell. An accurate story. So um, we really work with our subjects as partners and create stories that both they are proud of and happy with, but that also like teach us in the process sort of where we were going wrong previously um, and how we can grow as reporters. So that's that. All right, excellent. Well, I can appreciate that lasting change. And Akila. I know you have that fun title, Chief Creative Officer, or at least it sounds fun, because hey, I'd assume you get to be creative. But I'd love to hear what kind of contributions are you able to make in terms of making change for Represent Collaborative? Yeah, well, lots of change. Um, change is important in this work of, of changing the color of the marketing, the PR, the storytelling space, right? And in my day job, I'm founder and CEO of ChangeK, a diversity anti-racism consulting firm. So me coming in to work with Repco, as we like to call it, um, I'm bringing in that diversity lens. I'm bringing in that expertise of how we're working with changing behaviors, how we're amplifying black voices, and how we're taking people to the next level. As Aaron stated, there's a lot of white supremacy that's rooted in everything, which a lot of people are realizing since the murder of George Floyd and continuous events that are happening for trauma, the insurrection, and the list goes on and on. So by having that place for people to learn more and to move forward, 
with the collaborative uh, approach that we have with the network, the expertise and then me being the diversity person, we're able to change that and take it into more of an inclusive space. That is excellent because that change is necessary because you're absolutely right for the fact that there is white supremacy embedded in all avenues and every walks in our society. And unfortunately, mainstream media is definitely one of them. I believe it's predominantly white and male. It's a very similar in numbers to the rankings in law enforcement. And as we know, law enforcement can be problematic, so can media. So both of you, I'll pitch it to Aaron first. What is it about that you've identified really in mainstream media, things that you have seen that you would like to be handled differently and for what inspired Repco? Well, you know, I'm again working in offices for so long. First, I would notice that there was an inherent, there was already this like distrust. This like we would say, oh, we want to cover, you know, more people of color. We want to do this. And then well, why don't, why are people calling us back? Why don't they want to be? So that was my first sort of thought. And then when I started doing this and reaching out to people, I mean, I heard so many stories of people being just burned by the media. You know, that you think you're doing this one story or you're going to be represented in this one way and you're represented completely differently. And again, I don't always think it's, it's not intentional, but if you're having white voices like report on, things that they're not completely familiar with. And again, like exercising this power where I know the best title, I know the best way this should be worded. Um, you're you're really easily gonna misrepresent someone. Um, and I think especially for people who aren't really like media savvy, it can be like a really harmful experience. Um, and so just by starting out from this really, this place of trust and collaboration and honesty and, and transparency. Um, so. You know, simple things that I think most journalists hold, like golden rules. You know, we're breaking them. We show people their drafts, we show them their quotes. Most stories are very quote heavy, and so we let them choose their images, yay or nay. We don't. We never would publish an image that someone doesn't like, whether it's because of a double chin or where they're situated. So I think just having someone as a partner versus a subject is is how we make sure that those stories are you know, the best told the best way that they could be told with yeah. a, not having black voices telling black stories, which is obviously the ideal, right? Um, so how can we we do our best? And Akila, I see you nodding your head along. Um, do you have something you want to contribute in this? Yeah, I mean, Adrian, you know that a lot of our stories in the media are centered around trauma, right? And we're traumatizing ourselves, we're traumatizing ourselves telling the stories and working in the respective ways in which we work about, um, you know, getting that message out there, changing the way things are done. And there's really no happy medium. It's like trauma or wow, this black person did this thing and it's exceptional. This person sold a million units and, you know, there's nothing in between about us, about everyday people who are doing tremendous things, whether it's opening their, you know, bakery, black people surfing, you know, dispelling stereotypes that are out there. It's really changing that story. And so much that I do at my firm and with Repco is how do we provide that space, that centralized space to take the narrative elsewhere? And also quite frankly, selfishly as a black woman, to find a space where I can be celebrated, where I can celebrate other people, where I can see that there is good in the world when we see so much hate. Absolutely, and it's something 
And what you said, Akilah, really resonated with me in terms of that in-between space. Because the in-between is the humanity. Because when you always see people with a melanin count being beaten up by police or regulators in some way, and you don't get to see that element of the everyday of the family life and the stereotypes continue to thrive. And so I'd love to explore the ways in which you all have really undermined these ongoing stereotypes. So if you wouldn't mind giving me some examples of the stories that come out of Repco, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Well, we have a new story that will be launching next month to celebrate Black History Month. It's called the Black Truth Project. It's a collaboration with my company, with our Repco, and also Lululemon. And it's all about, yes, MLK is really important. Rosa Parks, really important. But again, that in between, that humanity, we interviewed exceptional Black people who are telling us the truth around microaggressions, skin color, hair, joy, you know, and what is needed for allyship. We want black people to see themselves and be celebrated, but we also want to continue this call of action to move past the summer of allyship. Absolutely, that's very powerful. And Erin, do you have any stories that really resonated with you from your work at Repco? Yeah, I mean, all of them, but one I'm, I'm always excited about the ones I'm working on now, you know, one of our other points is to partner with media organizations so that you know we give our stories either low cost or for free to media outlets just to make sure that the we're not monopolizing the content we're trying to disseminate it and so we have a partnership with the San Francisco Chronicle now and um, this they're going to be running a story this Sunday that we did about Amelia Ashley Ward, who is the publisher of The Sun Reporter, which is one of the oldest black newspapers in America. It's almost 80 years old, based in San Francisco, still publishes weekly, 30 cents an issue. And she's also you know, one of BFF with Vice President Kamala Harris and one of her earliest and most influential supporters. So she's been with her since her very first political campaign. And you know, a lot of people in the community really credit her with who's in the White House right now. So having that connection, you know, telling her her personal story, her real story, because, you know, as Vice President Kamala said in her acceptance speech, like I stand on the shoulders of other black women. And this is who she's talking about. These are the women who got her to where she is. And so hearing her story where she's just, you know, in her office plugging away, publishing this paper for the black community for, you know, over 35 years, it's just such a special story. And I'm just really happy to celebrate. And, and you know, she said, no one's ever written a story about me. I've been writing about people, you know, my whole life. So I'm really excited about that one. I'm excited that these stories get to be told. And can um, both of you please tell us where people can find you on social media? Absolutely, you can find me at Change Cadet, Change Cadet Like Soldier, and uh, lots of resources that are available there as well. Thank you, Aaron. And we're at Represent Collaborative on Instagram and representcollaborative.com. Fantastic, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome into TYT The Conversation, I'm your host Adrian Lawrence. And joining us now is the Executive Director of the Advancement Project, which works to combat structural racism in education, voting, policing, criminal justice, and immigration. Welcome in Judith Brown Dianis. Hi, thanks for having me today. Thank you for coming, we really appreciate having you here. 
And also we have recently welcomed in a new administration into Washington, which is so great. And it was by way of an election that was unfortunately laden with all sorts of tomfoolery. Not to mention there was effectively a poll tax going on in Florida that the courts upheld. You know, what efforts does the advancement project undertake to really address voter protections and preserve voter rights? Sure, so advancement project, we opened our doors in 99 and then the 2000 election happened and the debacle in Florida made us say, okay, as we are building power across the country for communities of color, voting is important. And so we started to, that was the first time that I think our country, you know, we've been through voter suppression, but it was like this new wave of what was happening. And we really needed to fix the cracks in our democracy. So the way that we work is we support grassroots organizations on the ground who are building power, who are doing things like voter registration, but also doing GOTV. And so we often wind up suing some of the election officials who are either um, who are making all these small little changes that people don't know that go under the radar. So we end up suing them sometimes and state legislatures because we have seen a wave of voter suppression laws that have passed in states. And I think we're gonna see more of this as, as our country's demographics change. And the browning of America is making those who have had power want to continue to hold the power. And the way that they try and do that is through voter suppression. And so we often end up suing, but we also to do a lot of work around GOTV and voter education. Yeah, and I'm quite certain that is very powerful because voter disenfranchisement and the many avenues by which it operates, hey, it's a bad thing and it's a big thing. You know, as of 2020, there was some 5.2 million people who were disenfranchised due to felony convictions, and that's right. according to the sentencing project. And also speaking of felonies, you know, more than 2 million people are currently incarcerated right now in the United States. And that includes a disproportionate number of people of color. And now we see that the Biden administration has agreed to phase out the federal government's use of privately operated prisons. Mm -hmm. And given your organization's work on the Just With Its Justice Project, what are your thoughts on this change that the Biden administration is making? Well, I mean, in actuality, <laughs> that change is to basically a reset. It's rewinding the tape back to the Obama administration who had done that. And and we have to give, you know, pay attention and give a, a lot of applause to our movement that really pushed for that in the first place. But you know, now we're gonna we're gonna go back to where we were because Trump got rid of got rid of that, and so we're back at square one. And so square one is not good enough, right? And so because most people are in public prisons, right? That they're not in these profiteering prisons, but they are in public prisons. And so that is the work that we have to do. Because if we want to end mass incarceration, we can't just say we'll go after the private prisons. The other issue with what was done, and again, while it's a first step, didn't go far enough, is that it maintains the contracts with private prisons that detain undocumented people. And so that means that the immigration detention centers, those contracts will stay in place. And so you know, this is one of those lessons where we get some wins as a movement, but that doesn't mean that our work is over, right? We elected Biden, but that doesn't mean our work is over, that we have to continue to do the work to push them to do more because our people deserve more. Absolutely, we have to move past this returning to the status quo. I completely and totally agree with you. And I was wondering when it comes to changes, what changes are the advancement project really hopeful for? 
Well, you know, one of the things that we're hopeful for is because we have Democrats in in Congress and in control of Congress, and we have a Democrat in charge of the White House. Is that first of all passing the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act? All right, like this is something that should not be controversial because we need to have voting rights protections, and it passed the House before. Mitch McConnell wouldn't put it before the Senate. So now we're going to see that finally move and President Biden is going to be able to sign off on that. The other thing that we're going to be looking to do is in the police reform area. You know, what we saw as a bill, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act for Advancement Project, it doesn't go far enough. So one of the things that we really will be looking to do is number one, take care of qualified immunity that shields police officers from liability for what they do because that creates a bad culture with police so that they know that they can get away with anything. So we will be you know, in a, we'll, we will be all on board with that part of the bill. But we do think that we need to go farther and that the president is, is saying $300 million more for law enforcement. And we don't want that. We want that money put into mental health services. We want that money put into supports for community, into housing, into programs for reentry. So, so those are some of the things that we'll be looking for along with immigration and also getting police out of schools. That's one of our, our key pieces of work at Advancement Project. Absolutely. And speaking of schools, you know, I know that education justice is one of the advancement projects focal points. And we know that community communities of color and those living in poverty are often denied access to quality public education, whether it's underfunding or under-resourced. But also a recent federal report revealed that one out of every four schools in America was classified as high poverty. This is a problem. And so I was wondering what efforts would you like to see undertaken to address equity in education? Well, I mean, a couple of things. One is that we're very concerned about young people returning to schools after COVID, right? Or even during COVID, right? Like, like kids are going back to school, and we know that a lot of schools that are under resourced, don't even have things like sanitizer and soap. And so there really has to be a Marshall plan for our schools, but also for um, mental health support. These kids have gone through a lot of trauma. And so they can't, we can't just send them back to school and act like everything's okay. They've been isolated, some of them living in really bad environments. So we want to make sure that young people get those supports. Also, the money that goes to high poverty schools, which is called Title I money, we need to see increases in that because we know we have a lot of kids who are suffering, who need free lunch and a good breakfast, but they also need supports in school. And so that's the kind of stuff we'll be pushing. But I'll tell you this, it's so good to have finally an administration and probably a secretary of education that cares about public schools because that's not what we have for the past four years. So we'll be uh, we'll be pushing them to do the best by our kids. Absolutely, and it's uh, yes, uh, you couldn't have said it any better, uh, Betsy DeVos. Uh, it was funny because what she was one of the few effective members of the Trump administration, and boy, it would have been great not to have her. That's but right. We don't have her now, so we are very blessed in that mm-hmm. regard. And so we have just a few minutes left, and so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that you think is extremely important that is not necessarily getting the coverage or the voice right now that is important to the Advancement Project. 
Sure, so uh, two things quickly. One is police free schools. We have a campaign and we have a website called wecametolearn.com. There was just an assault on a young person in Osceola, Florida just yesterday, um, where a young girl was slammed to the floor by a sheriff's officer. And so that's one of the things we really have been pushing to get police out of our schools and get young people supports. And then the other thing that I would say is the rights restoration issue, right? We have an opportunity in the state of Virginia over the next few years to actually give people the right to vote permanently. Right now it is one of two states that still disenfranchises people for a lifetime unless the governor restores their voting rights. And so um, so we're gonna be working with our partners in Virginia to get that fixed so that people actually have a right to vote. Excellent, those sound like extremely important campaigns that are very invested in shaping and reshaping our communities. And so thank you so much for all that effort you put in. Can you tell people where to find you online in the event that they are looking to contribute or to learn more? Sure, so you can go to advancementproject.org and you can find all about our programs there. And then of course you can follow us on Twitter and you can follow me on Twitter at jbrownsianis. I love Twitter, so please, please do, I would love that. Excellent, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.